Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Before I get into the episode today, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, all I ask is that you take 30 seconds to leave a quick review on iTunes. It means a lot to me and it really helps get the podcast in front of more people. Today, I've got another amazing guest from a really cool brand. Stephanie Bregman, the Chief Marketing Officer of Manly Bands, joins me to talk about how they've overcome attribution uh, and other data issues caused by the recent iOS changes, how licensed partnerships have been a powerful contributor to growth, and how they keep on top of new technologies and emerging customer experiences. It's a fantastic episode, full of interesting ideas, so let's get Stephanie on now. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you've got to where you are today. Sure. My name is Stephanie Bregman. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for ManlyBands.com. I've had a long background in the digital marketing um, business with mostly D2C in the D2C space. I started working for Manly Bands about three years ago, consulting in the very beginning, and I was just so excited by the brand that I was like, I, I wanted to be there full time. And I was lucky enough that at the time they were looking to bring on a CMO and I started working for them full time. And it's been an incredible ride, but my background has always been in e-commerce, D2C brands, and uh, from all different types of backgrounds. I've worked in the healthcare space and now I'm in the retail space. It, it's been extremely exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds great. So let's jump, jump straight in with uh, to Manly Brands. What do you think has been some of the biggest contributors to growth um, for, for the brand in the last, maybe the last year or so? Sure, absolutely. For those of people who don't know also, I think it'd be a good idea to talk a little bit about Manly Bands too, as a company. The growth as a company, it's it's been bigger than I've seen in any other business I've worked with. The company was started by John and Michelle, who are co-CEOs, as well as husband and wife. They were looking to get married. John could not find a ring that was going to fit his finger. He looked to open up a catalog in the retail store and they showed him three options and they were plain gold and they were thousands of dollars super boring. And he's, there's got to be something better than this. And once he figured out there really wasn't, that's how Manly Bands was born. And both Michelle and John have a very creative background. So they were able to create some really unique products with things like Dinosaur Bone and Meteorite and Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel. And, and so it's just the goal for the company was to make sure that we can provide a ring that represents everyone's personality, no matter who they were, and uh, just give them an awesome experience from time they come onto the site until the product is delivered. With regards to the growth we've had in general, it's we did make Inc.'s fastest growing companies list. I think a lot of it is due to many different facets of the business. If I have to focus on one, I would say we've been working really hard in marketing to build an incredible brand. And I think that the brand is also supported by our customer service team who really helps to make sure that our customers are heard, that we help them, that we get the product they need quickly because this is typically for someone's wedding. And so we want to make sure they can get it before their wedding, that there's no issues or problems. It's to our shipping department who gets products out as quickly as possible. And then really to our product team for being as innovative as they are, coming up with unique ideas. And then starting from the top, just the amazing leadership that we've had. It really goes from the top down. And we are a team that is very collaborative in nature. And so I think that has a lot to do with our incredible growth, along with some of the tactics along the way, of course, I think that have helped us get us there. But I would say that overall, we just hire rock stars. And I think that everyone just loves what they do. And we are all behind this concept 100%. Um, and I think that's what scaled our business so quickly. Uh, it's exciting. There was a hole in the market that didn't exist before we got there. People always thought men don't care about their wedding bands. But we found out that's really not the case. They just didn't really have any options. Yeah, I think... Yeah, so I'm uh, just talking about the brand bit at first. Obviously, brand is really important, more and more important these days. I think people are getting much more attached to brands that they, they relate to and they they feel that attachment to. And I think for something like a, a wedding band, you're right. It, it's not 
well, I mean, I've not got married, so I don't really know. But um, <laughs> I, I imagine so it's, it's you will be here for you. So <laughs> yeah, it's not that people don't care. It's like you say, there's there's literally a handful of options. They're all similar, just maybe a different color. Right. And so rubber bands in the back. That's what they tell you. Go find a rubber band in the back. Yeah. That's typically what happens. (laughs) And I think with a brand like yours, where you're disrupting that category. And so actually you don't have to have a silver or gold or platinum band. You can have one made from pretty much anything. It's really important that brand is there and that people trust that brand because you're not, you're not going to just buy a wedding band off some random Instagram advertisement that's maybe it's 50 60 dollars and people just just go okay yeah cool i'll just grab it off that's not going to happen because like you say people still do care people care and they're and and with the world we're in now if you don't do your job and do your job well as a company people are going to talk and eventually that reputation follows you and so i think we've done a really great job because if you take a look at any of our social feeds we take a look at any of our comments our product reviews our customers love the product and like, how lucky are we as a company to be part of someone's like most special moment in their life? It's a big responsibility that we don't take lightly as a company. So, yeah, and it's it's also I imagine it's something that uh, you probably get a lot of word of mouth from it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, Even- I mean, we get lots of UGC too because user generated content. People get married, they get photography with their rings. They're always wanting to share that with us and letting us yeah. be part of that journey, which is really incredible. Something special that you you do you sell to the UK? We do. Yeah, we sell yeah, okay. we sell internationally. Yep. So yeah, I, I can't recall ever seeing anyone with anything other than a silver, probably a silver or platinum band. So even if you saw someone at a bar, you might be tempted to ask them. If you yeah, see a ring it? that really it's stands really cool. out, you might yeah. think, oh, that's that's really cool. That's what our um, customers are telling us. They tell us all the time in their videos that people constantly compliment their band. Where did you get it from? What is this made out of? And there was an article that just came out about us in the Wall Street Journal recently about how like our gold band's a thing of the past because so many people now are going in that direction. And we see that in the studies that are happening that more there's a much higher growth rate in these non-precious metal categories for the men's ring space. Yeah. And I, I think we're seeing it in with wedding rings as well, I think. The actual yep. people are moving away from diamonds to uh, either lab-grown diamonds, which yep. is, as far as I'm aware, are supposed to be almost identical, or just other materials which are a lot cheaper but do exactly the same job. Yeah, we actually um, have a sister site, by the way, Rosie Ray, and we do sell the lab-grown diamonds there. And it's 100% true, okay. like lab-grown diamonds, a big myth. I had no idea when I started working and doing working with diamonds is that lab-grown diamonds is a diamond. It's just made in a lab. And there's chemically, it's exactly the same as a regular diamond. So a lot of people are going that route for um, many different reasons. Obviously, it's a lot less expensive, but it also, there's a great cause behind it of trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing. We're trying not to put people in a circumstance where they're doing things that that, that can happen when you're getting natural diamonds and we just want to, we don't want to be part of that. And so we don't sell regular diamonds. We typically only sell the, the lab grown diamonds and people love them and they're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of talk about where diamonds come from, how the ethical, condition. uh, yeah. yeah, conditions and, and the ethics behind it. Yeah. That's, that's another great reason to, to go for a lab grown instead. Coming back to the marketing side. What, so you've used, you mentioned Jack Daniels earlier. Actually, yeah. Jack, Jack Daniels Barrel. Um, I think you, um, when we spoke before, I think you mentioned you've got a new partnership coming up, yeah. which I think we, you we can just talk launched about. It. 
Yeah, we just yeah. we just did a soft launch this week. Uh, we're doing a full launch in the next couple of weeks, but I guess I'll let you guys know that we just launched our Fender license, official Fender license rings, which are incredible, just amazing. Think of like the kind of wood they use, the, the, the authentic guitar string that runs down the rings. We have one that looks like a fretboard, just really cool things that Fender and Manly Bands came together and created these amazing designs. And it's just, it, the product is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And Fender is super excited about it. And it's just, it's a really awesome collaboration. And so I think the reason we look at licensed partners like this is because number one, we're always looking for new materials for all of our rings, but we want to make sure that we're a ring for every man or woman or alien, as they say in some of our ads, we try to make sure that we have something unique to everyone. So think about people who just love music. And this is such a cool category. And we hear what our customers are asking, and we try to do what we can to bring them products that are unique to every personality. And so this is just one that we uh, recently just started uh, this month, and it is taking off like crazy. People love the rings. Uh, Obviously, musicians want to wear them. People who um, are in the industry are wanting to get their hands on these Fender rings because they're just really cool products. Yeah. And so it's interesting because obviously if it's a wedding band or supposed to be a wedding band, you would expect maybe not to struggle to sell them. That's the wrong way of putting it. But there's going to be a limit to the number that you're going to sell because there's only a certain number of people getting married at any one point. But do you? so are you finding that while you're positioning them as wedding bands, you're actually just getting people saying, it's a cool ring. I just want to buy it. I'm going to buy it and use it. Yeah. First of all, like, how can I push people to buy rings that don't normally wear them? We can't really do that. Like, I'm not going to, we don't go after a market of men who just don't wear jewelry. That's not what we're trying to do. But there is a market out there of men who like jewelry and who do want to buy really unique items. But there's also another market out there. There's men who got their wedding rings. I joke around. I say, my husband's one of them. He got his wedding ring and he hated it. He's like, why did I buy this? I don't even like little diamonds. Why did I get diamonds in my ring? I don't, he never liked his ring. And there's a lot of guys out there who just went to the store like everybody else did for the past 10, 20 years and bought a ring that was in the jewelry store because that's where their significant other got their ring. And so for me, that's the other opportunity is like, if we create rings that are that awesome, that people go, you know what? I want to upgrade my ring. Women do it all the time. That's also the other thing that we also look at doing too is, is, and we see a lot of our customers not only are getting married, but are ones who have already are married and are either lost their ring or trying to get an upgrade to a ring. I think the rings are so cool. They want to wear them, whether it's on their thumbs. I mean, some guitars put them on their thumbs some or gamers. I can't even tell. We, we hear it all the time. They just think the jewelry is so cool. And the price point is, is reasonable. So why not? I, I, was, I was just leading to that. What, what sort of prices are there? Are the rings? Sure. So depending on the rings, our average order value is typically around $250. And some of our rings go up a little bit higher than that. Some of our licensed rings could be like around $500 to $700. We have some rings that are over $1,000, but majority of our rings um, are very affordable. And we have different types of price points based on your budget. And then we also have financing too. So if someone does, I really want a dinosaur bone ring, we can help them with that. Our goal is to get them the ring that they want and also help them stay within their budget as well. Because I remember it was a long time ago for me, but when I did get married, it was a very stressful time. So if we could try to take some of that away from the brides and grooms that are getting married, that's our intention. Yeah. The point I wanted to get to was obviously if a ring from you is $250, dollars $400, and that's compared to a traditional wedding band, which it might be thousands, two, three, four thousand. <laughs> yep. You might, I suppose you might find some people who are justifying buying multiple rings or buying, changing their ring every year or so, because they're saying, you know, the money I saved on buying uh, a gold or or a silver wedding ring, 
robot in bank i can spend on these really cool ones which are, are much more interesting and much you know much more me and i think that's where the licenses come too because at the end of the day all of our rings are very cool we have a lot of really unique materials but if i can continue to put out different types of licensed products, there's going to be something that resonates with someone. And even though, for example, let's say that you are a huge baseball fan and we have our MLB license, or we have some other really cool licenses I can't talk about yet that are coming up that we can talk about maybe on the next time I visit, but there's a lot of cool stuff that's really for everyone. And if we can resonate with someone and say, you know what, I know you got this band from us, maybe a year, two years down the road. We also have this other one too, that you can wear when you go to sports games, or if you want to go to the gym, we also have a silicone band that you can wear. And so, yes, we do see that as something down the road. And I think that's why we're we're spending a lot of time developing just really awesome product to make sure that we can always stay top of mind and just help people find a reason to want to get another ring and to be really excited about it so they can have different rings for different occasions or things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I suppose, it, you know, if, if you are charging maybe a tenth of what a, a, a jeweler would, would charge, you do need that repeat purchase. You want to get people buying, even if they just buy a second ring. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, that's we're, significant. We're, it's actually a really good point that you made because lifetime value from a marketing perspective is very hard for a company like us. And it's something that we focus on a lot. We also do things like manly gifts where we sell things, whether it's like merchandise, like hats and shirts and things like that, or axes that could be engraved for your groomsmen or like just really cool okay. gifts that are just so different. But we know when everybody gets married, they have to get groomsmen gifts or there's anniversary gifts. And so we want to make sure that we're always there for, for them because people don't just get married and disappear. There's other things that happen during the wedding process and then after they get married. And since they we do have a lot of really loyal customers, not only can they help us by by always continuing to purchase things from us that they need, but also by recommending us to others. We have a new program we just started where we're giving a hundred dollars if someone recommends a customer to us. Just a hundred bucks. And I think that I'm hoping that people will see that as a huge opportunity for them, uh, for themselves. And then we also give 25% off to the person who's getting the ring. So we'll do things like this. It may not be forever, but right now this is what we are, we're running. Is that a hundred dollars credit or cash? hundred dollars cash. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's no brainer really, isn't yeah, it? Just to, to, to we're creating the Manly Bands army here. We're excited because it's, we know that when you talk about Manly Bands, people get excited about it. So we want to give them the reason to do that. And we know that when they buy, they're going to love the product and we hope that will continue. There's no companies that are doing that. They'll give you like a 6% commission or something like that. Credit back. We're giving like a hundred dollars cash. If someone can help, help someone else get their ring. Yeah, I suppose it's it's going to be more effective, isn't it? Because like you say, if, if there's a quite a low repeat purchase, well, potentially low repeat purchase rate, you know, in theory, someone buys a wedding band, they don't need another one. Exactly. Um, which means that if you offer $100 credit, there's going to be a, a chunk of people who say, I'm not going to buy another ring. Why do I need credit? There'll right. be a few people who may get the credit and then potentially don't spend it and can't don't really think about it because they're thinking, well, I don't need a new one. But $100 cash... You know, we are not messing around. And I think that's the thing too, is like we lead with authenticity and we do what we say we're going to do. So that's the one thing I always want to put out there. When what I love about Manly Bands as a company is we are a very authentic brand and we will always do what's right for our customers and promise what we say we're going to do. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we're going to run these promotions forever, but right now that's the current thing that we just started. So, okay. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how that goes in a few months time. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned mentioned earlier was obviously when someone's getting married, there's loads of stuff they need to do. I think we talked about this when when we spoke before the podcast, have you found that partnerships work really well for you? So partnering up with other suppliers 
of weddings. So whether it's florists or whoever. um, Yes. We're lucky in that manner because when someone gets married, there's all these steps that have to happen. I don't want to say grooms leave the wedding band for last. It's not always the last step, but it's somewhere towards the middle to the end of the process. But yeah, people are getting their suits. They're getting their dresses for their weddings. They're getting their invitations or getting their photography. And so there's all these things that happen that make for really great prospecting opportunities from a, a search standpoint. But also from a partnership standpoint, we've done some really cool giveaways with Men's Warehouse. We're working on a giveaway right now with Black Tux and David's Bridal and Books. And so I think those partnerships are really important because it helps you figure out like, hey, these guys are similar size to us or bigger. And there's an opportunity here for each other to get in front of our audiences and, and, and help our customers get all the things done that they need to get done, whether it's their dresses, whether it's their, whether it's their suits, whether it's their flowers. And so whatever we can, any partnership we do, it's done with an intent of what can we do to help our customers or to provide some kind of offer that our customers would appreciate if hopefully if they win, but at least we get to introduce them to some really cool brands that we have worked with, that we trust, that we know have done a great job. And so I think that partnerships are important. And also I think as a brand, it adds credibility to your brand too, if you're working with some bigger players as well. Yeah, well, it works a bit like referral marketing, doesn't it? If, if brand if brand A recommends you to brand B and you trust brand A, then your initial level of trust with brand B is already a bit higher. And you're, exactly. more, you're going to be more willing to, to at least give it a look and, and try um, to find the product that you want. Yeah. And just, I always say, just make sure you find really good brand partnerships. Don't just partner to partner with someone. Don't be afraid to shoot for the stars. I think a lot of brands starting off who are smaller, like I can only work with the smaller companies. That's not the case. I think that you want to play with, if you want to be a big company, you have to play with the big companies. And so I think that putting yourself out there and and trying to shoot for whatever you can from a partnership perspective is super important. There is value in a brand for your customers, like those brands, whether they're bigger or smaller, that your customers have value to, the, to those brands as well. And with obviously with, cu- with the customer's permission, when they do sign up for a joint promotion, they get to have access to all those other brands. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It's important to, to pick those correct, the right partnerships because you want them to be actual partnerships. I think a, a lot, lot of, of cases, work otherwise. So. <laughs> yeah. I think in a lot of cases, you'll see a company go out, try to gather as many partners as they can. And those partnerships turn into, we'll put a mention of you on our blog or something and just leave your link there. And if people find it, that's it. Whereas you want a partnership where people, you're going to promote each other and actively work together. And the only other time that I wouldn't do something like that is if I wanted to provide an offer to our customer. Let's say if I was doing a vacation giveaway or things like that, where I need like a honeymoon location. Certain times in in those circumstances, it may not be as important. But either way, they do care about our customers and our customers may want to take vacations at like a a resort for that company. But typically I try to keep it within the wedding industry. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So what's, what sort of challenges have you been facing? I think the biggest one, I think a lot of, I've been on some CMO groups and we've had very similar discussions to this, but I think it's the, when you look at it, whether we, we all have different issues, but it comes back to predictability. I think that's been our biggest challenge. Some companies have issues with getting product in time because of some issues with getting with shipping. We haven't really had as many of those issues. Most of our products are in the US, but I think the biggest problems that we've had is predictability because of COVID, because of not knowing how many weddings are there going to be, are things going to shut down again? And we did really well during 2020 because Everybody was afraid to go into any stores and everyone was shopping online. So I think that's where we really flourished. We just happened to be there at a really good time. 
But I, I think that in order for us to understand what the market's going to, how the market's going to behave year over year has been very challenging. So as we put budgets together, we have to, we have to really think and go, okay, why did we do really well this month? We have to start going through, okay, remember there was this COVID uh, stipend that they put out and people got money. And then all of a sudden there was a huge amount of sales that week, or there's always things that happen that we have to really just, we can't just be like, let's look at last year and then build upon that based off of the growth that we want. We have to be very specific about every month that we are um, advertising or, or promoting our brand. And we have to look and say, what happened last month? Let's look at everything. Let's look at every email that went out. Let's look at every promotion that happened. There was a spike here. Why did that spike happen? And we have to have a reason for everything because there were so many things that just were not normal. And then 2021 came and we're like, okay, it's a little bit more normal. We didn't have a March of 2020, but there were still things that happened throughout the year that we have to really take into consideration. Then there's iOS. iOS was a big one. Just, yeah. Sorry, just before you go into iOS, um, on the, the predictability and working out what happened previously and, and how to forecast, one of my previous guests, so back in what 2020, summer 2020, yeah. was actually an incredible summer here, or at least in, in the kind of south of England, yeah. really hot, really sunny. And they provide their, their product is a like a water filter. Like it? a water filtration system or? It's a... I don't know what to call it really. It's got two taps, one for boiling water, one for cold water. Okay. And it, it, so it, plug, it plugs in. You can get really cold water or you can get really hot water just at the push of a button. Um, cool. And they found they sales just exploded for them in summer. And you know a lot of brands would just say, cool, this is great. We're getting a, an uplift. We're obviously doing really well with their advertising or something. And through customer feedback and, and a bit of research, they just worked out it was literally because it was people just <laughs> wanted people wanted really quick access to cold water. Yeah, and and that was pretty much it. So now they've they've they now pay for that data, that forecast data. So if it looks like it's going to be a really hot weekend or a so week, smart. they just ramp up the advertising and really target that. And that's not really reminds me of the umbrella in the retail store by the front door and it rains the situation, which I think is very smart. But yeah, so you wanted to talk about iOS changes. Yeah, yeah. We had COVID in itself is a is something that I feel like marketers should study for a long time because it changed the way that we looked at marketing. And then iOS came, we said, okay, what do you have to throw at us next? Because it just felt like it was that kind of a year where it was like one thing after another. And again, marketing now has become more of a science, mathematical. Uh, equations and trying to figure out how how users are going to behave, right? Based off of like certain data. And iOS threw a wrench into a lot of small businesses who don't have access to that kind of data and have to rely on Facebook and have to rely on, on Google. They have to rely on their tools to tell them, you know, how they're performing. And so of course, at the time iOS hits, Facebook algorithms get totally messed up. And then all of a sudden, all these businesses are showing that their, their ads are not performing. They start pulling out, they start changing things to try to get back to where it was. It got very messy, I think, for a lot of businesses. And for us, I think the learning, I think our learning curve for that was it is really important to understand incrementality. It's important to understand how your data is performing. Without that, you are literally flying blind. And it's not something that you want to do as a marketer, because how can I go to our president or our CEO and say, Hey, I don't know why it's not performing. We need to know how it performs and we need to be constantly testing. And for any businesses that are really interested in understanding how we overcame that is that we understood our data and we understood based off of this experimentation and the testing that we've done, we do a lot of geotesting. It allowed us to see how is Facebook really affecting 
our sales. And then the other piece of advice I also have is a lot of people say to me, I need to have this specific marketing efficiency ratio. And so my ROAS is going to be a two or a three or whatever it is going to be. And I want to make sure that's across all channels. And I want to say, and I, it irks me because that's the way we used to do things like 10 years ago. And especially now we should never do it that way. So I look at marketing efficiency ratio as like my golden egg. That's the one, that's what I look at to make sure that I'm on pulse, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Then we look at, from a geo perspective, we look at and see, okay, how is Facebook performing? We may do an incrementality test. We may even do scale testing and see like, how far can we go with our awareness campaigns or how far can we go with our our revenue or revenue type of campaigns? And what we've tried to focus on is how can we get as much traffic as possible that's qualified traffic to our site and then allow our email, our SMS, and things that are less expensive to try to close those sales so that we're not focusing so much on remarketing. And remarketing for us, we did really well. And that's what kind of helps bring your numbers up for Facebook. And so when your timeframe is shortened from 30-day window to a seven-day attribution window, people it takes people 30 to 60 days to figure out if they want their ring. And so I think that by capturing your first-party data and then using your own internal tools to market to them, you have a lot better chance of closing them versus wasted spend because basically my remarketing audience is becoming my prospecting audience all over again. And it's just a vicious cycle. And so I think we just have to, you just have to map out what that looks like and then have metrics and say, I'm willing to go down to this for Facebook because I know that it's getting me the traffic. I had one marketer say to me, I'm pulling back. I'm not using Facebook. It's not working. It works. It actually, for, for us, it was three times better than what the Facebook was showing us for at least for oh, our wow, okay. campaigns. And we saw the same thing even with Google because we had we were like, okay, if we're gonna have a seven-day attribution window for Facebook, let's have a seven-day attribution window for Google. You know what? <laughs> Google was like, you're we, we were under they were underreporting how well they were performing because we have such a shrunken attribution window. So for companies that know that they have a longer time period to convert, Facebook does work. Google does work. You just have to really make sure you understand how that data is from a first party standpoint, like how is that data really from an incremental standpoint affecting revenue. So we take consumer behavior out of the equation because we're losing more and more consumer data. And we're just saying, here's a test. Let's put this here and let's just see what happens to revenue. Let's just see what happens to conversion rate. And it's the way that we test, we do A-B testing. And so it's working well for us. And then since we started doing that, we haven't had any more issues. We haven't had any issues. We've been back to being more predictable, but it was a wild ride (laughs) that I don't want anyone to ever have to be part of. But it's... You can breathe much better. You can sleep better at night knowing that the data that you have is accurate, is real, and then know how to react to it no matter what the circumstances. Because I think 2023, Google's going to have their next updates. We're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, I think I, I like that you mentioned, you, you, well, you talked about testing, like changing in spends and things. And I think that's a good way of phrasing it and a good approach because, yeah, a lot of brands would just you know, maybe up the spend or, right. or decrease their spend. And just see what happens. But I think if you, when you call it testing and take that approach, it's almost like you're saying we're gonna we're gonna say this this is the benchmark. This is where we are now. What's that incremental change by then uh, increasing or, or decreasing spend, and what's the impact there? And right. assessing it against those benchmarks rather than just saying, "Cool, spend some more money." Let's. Let's scale. If our incrementality is showing us that we have, if we want to get like a two ROAS, but we have to tell Facebook, 
to go down to a one. I'm just gonna, I'm making these numbers up, but we could tell Facebook, you can go down to a one because we can handle it because we know that you're not telling us the whole story. And by yeah. doing that, it allows us, and I also, I'm gonna also preface with this as well to anyone who's also in an agency, because the issues I've had a lot of times with agencies is that the customers are so focused on ROAS the agencies have pressure to hit these ROAS targets without looking at the bigger picture and trying to have, whether it's agencies managing clients or whether it's clients like us who have our own internal team, understanding what your ROAS needs to be based off incrementality of what you know it's doing is really important. And so if you're working with an agency, they can still continue to work for you, but you have to give them those new targets in order for them to be able to scale and not put that pressure to hit a certain number. Yeah, and really, they should be asking for that information because they yeah. should know. They should know the same thing. They should know that Facebook is possibly underreporting because that attribution window is is much lower. But it's also up to the client to also be able to understand from their own reporting. If most yeah. agencies are not going to do that, but it's up to us to let them know this is where you need to be, and that's okay because back before iOS. A lot of agencies were getting paid based off of hitting hitting a Facebook ROAS. And that's fine as long as that ROAS is realistic. And that's not an overall ROAS, but as long as you're aware of whatever campaigns you have, those ROAS expectations are talked about ahead of time and that they're not unrealistic based off of assumptions. That Basically, it's the old school way of doing things in the new school way. A lot of agencies are now taking away ROAS and saying, we're not going to do this anymore. We're looking at marketing efficiency ratio, which is smart. It is smart because then it takes some of that pressure off of them because then they're, they're, it's not, you guys are only doing a one. We're asking them to do the one because we know that we're getting a lot more from it. So it's a tough world for even the agencies now. We brought it in-house for that reason is we wanted to have more control over um, over what decisions that we were making without the added pressure of having to worry like, oh, we have to pay an agency. We're going to have to pay an agency less. Then we're going to have to renegotiate with them based on their fees. And it's just, it got to a point where we were like, let's just do this internally. And we've been doing a great job. We have an amazing team led by our growth marketer, who's incredible. And uh, yeah, it's just, I think that people just have to look at their business, understand the incrementality, and then be able to provide information to their internal or their agency teams to get to the results they need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it, we see it happen internally as well, though, particularly with email. Email, it's exactly the same problem. So you might have something like Clavio, for example, it's you know, it's one of the, 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 the popular ones at the moment. Their reporter just takes into account the fact that this person opened or clicked an email and within a certain time period purchased. And so we're, we're losing open right now, but otherwise, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. about that. But, um, um, but yes. But you have that same attribution problem. So Clavio will say they clicked the email and they purchased. Or sorry, I think it might even be they were sent an email and they purchased. Therefore, we we can attribute right. some of that to uh, to us. Whereas we, actually, we'll, yeah, we'll say you know what, email helped with the purchase, but we give them like a twenty something percent incrementality because it's not the email that got them to yeah. there, right? But it is also a very vital part to help bring down the cost of your advertising uh, as well. Yeah, but then with a lot of brands, I, I don't know if you guys do it, but a lot of brands will offer you 10% off, 10% off if you if you drop your email in. So you click a Facebook advertisement, drop your email in, wait for that email to come through, take your code, purchase. Facebook has driven you there. Facebook's really done all the work, assuming yeah. there's no other touch points. But Clavio then claims that, uh, that purchase because right. it was done because of the email. Yeah, that's why the um, testing is so important because email is important. Don't get me wrong. We see what they show us, but we know like we look at that with a grain of salt and say email is without email, our ad costs will be much higher. 
I look at it yeah. as it's a joint effort. They're bringing us yeah, there. Exactly. Email is closing it. Email is a much cheaper method of closing a sale than Facebook is. It's a partnership. <laughs> so yeah, a lot more brands, and and it's something that I talk about a lot, and I, I do with a couple of clients is um, trying to capture more data with that email, so that you can personalize those experiences more. Yes. So. For example, if it was with uh, with manly brands, it would be. Are you getting married? We have a whole series now that we're working on that's really incredible. That points specifically to what that is. It's we're finding out who are they. Are they getting married? Did they lose the ring? Are they just looking to wear a really awesome band? And then you go out from there, and then you continue to ask questions throughout the process, learn more about who your customer is, and then you can target your ads more specifically based off of what they're looking for. Yeah, we'll t- target your ads better, but also build out those marketing automation flows. Yes. And if someone says, Hello. I'm looking to buy a wedding band and I'm looking to buy it in, in six weeks time, or, or even I'm getting married in six weeks time or whatever, that allows you to build out that flow and say, if it's six weeks away, you need to get, you, you might want to be thinking about this now. What's, what sort of interests you? And then take it to that next step of, do you like, well, which of these would you place in your top interests or hobbies, music, sports, whatever. And then that will lead to you saying, well, we think you'd enjoy this this uh, this collection of rings. Yeah. And I think it's also important to get closer to that date of when their wedding is, like you said, so that we know like how urgent is this? If Because if they don't place that ring by the time that they're, of their wedding date, then you probably know they didn't purchase from us, but they may need anniversary gifts. They may need groomsmen gifts. So understanding that and creating more urgency as you get closer to that wedding date is really important. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, do you have any issues with customers being retargeted or maybe receiving emails or SMS or whatever? And the marriage, like the wedding fell through or the event Um, fell through. And so... That touches more customer service than us. I haven't got any angry people saying, stop sending me ads. I don't get that. I know customer service sometimes will get things. We have some stories like that. There's some tragic stories as well. And of course, like we're going to refund them. We'll get them the ring back. Like we understand like things happen. Like we're not going to give people a hard time, but it does. It happens. It happens to 50% of people. So hopefully not before the wedding, but we are, we're always there for our customers. I mean, people have gone through a lot this year. This is not easy for anybody. And one of the things that's really important also for us as a company is mental health, not just for our team. And so I think it's something that I want to make people aware that as a company, it's really important for us to make sure that not only are we happy, you know, employees are happy and that, that mentally that we're in a good place. There's a lot of people right now in the world that are just struggling because of the isolation of COVID and what's happened. And so we have to really make sure that when our customer, when we speak to our customers, we have to be understanding and they've gone through a lot. And some of these couples have tried to get married multiple times and they just keep having to push their wedding back and back. There's people trying to get married. They can't find a date to have get, get married. They're trying to get married during the, on a Wednesday afternoon because that's all that's available to them. It's tough. So we lead with sympathy and understanding. There's lots of situations that we hear our customers go through and we treat them with, with the humility that they deserve. And we want to make sure they feel heard and that we can, we make sure that, that they're taken care of. So yeah, if something does happen, we will absolutely make sure that they're okay and that we take care of them if the wedding ends and we have to, whatever we have to do, it's on a case-by-case basis, but we, we just want to make sure that we're there to help each customer. It's just not worth it for us not to do that. It just, it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do. Yeah, hopefully uh, the majority of the cases, things get resolved or, or they get, they get <laughs> married a couple of years later maybe to someone else or whatever, but no one uh, got divorced ever. No one got divorced because they didn't like their manly band. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. 
So. Yeah, cool. Just one other thing I wanted to touch on was using new new tech, new technologies. So, do you have do you have a process for testing things? Do you try and stay ahead of you know ahead of the competition by testing out new channels, new technologies? Yeah, constantly. We're always testing things like TikTok. We're always testing things like in the ads world, like Pinterest and things that we know that our customer our customers may be. We're always testing new kind of AI technology to make sure that customers have the ability to try on their rings easily. We had an app that we developed um, internally. We have an amazing CTO, Scott, who and um, he has an amazing team, Zach and Arthur. They created this really cool app that allowed people to try on, that they allowed them to number one, get their the ring size, but really it was more the one that they created had to do with matching and trying to like scroll through. Uh, I'm trying to say this without getting myself in trouble. There's a there's like a dating app that you can go through, and it would allow them to slide left or slide. There's certain words I'm not allowed to use. Basically, oh, okay. they can scroll through. <laughs> there's a lot of things that we that certain companies do that we that they have protection over certain words. So we can you can slide left, right. slide right if you like. If you don't like rings, you can share with your partner to do the same thing, and they can look at your compared list and see what rings are in common. I think that we have to remember like our customer base is younger, millennial, older Gen Z. Like they think in a different way. We need to make sure that we are constantly looking at from a technology standpoint. Like how do our customers like when our customers are in dating apps, like how did our customers meet? Like what technology are they using? And we have to make sure that we put that technology into the product that we are using. Um, Totally off topic. I'm a big nerd. So I really also love the idea of the metaverse. I just have... I'm predicting that like within the next 10 years, like every store is going to have a virtual shop. We'll have the ability to connect, you know, gamify things. People will be buying virtual products. I just think that's going to be like the future. I'm not saying that we're doing anything now. There's a couple of companies that have, but I think that I'm excited by it. Nike on the way to it, I think. I think that's what, yeah. I've, what I've been told. Um, There's a couple of really cool brands I've been reading about that have done some really neat stuff with the metaverse where they've created like a virtual experience where they can walk in, they can try things on virtually. And it's so possible. I think that eventually as the technology gets better and then you have the ability to use your hands a little bit more easily in some of the in, in some of these virtual worlds yeah. that you can actually try things on. You can it's I'm excited by that. I think it's neat. So I'm always reading up on all of that and just wanting to see what's happening next. But I think for me, that's what I'm excited about from a marketing standpoint, because I'm like, this will change the way. I feel like somebody's going to look back at this interview and then be like, remember when Katie Kirk did the thing about like email and like the at sign and they didn't know how to describe it. I feel like someone's going to look back and be like, oh, this is a funny interview of someone trying to describe the metaverse. But I yeah. feel like this is where we are going. And um, I'm excited about it. I think it's, I just think it's really neat. I see advertisers advertising in games, like on when we look at basketball events, like online, you can actually see people advertising there now in the stands, like things like that are so different because that's where our customers are. They are gaming, they are getting married, they are, they're young, they're cool, they're on TikTok. Like we have to be where our customers are. And it keeps me young as a mom. So yeah. I remember actually a few years ago, we, there's a game called Football Manager, which is a, Uh, it's literally a football manager game and a couple must have been four or five years ago now i think they actually sold advertising onto the advertising boards around the pitch but within the game yeah so i don't think it was live or anything so they they had no feed into it it was literally just a you pay us x thousand pounds we'll just put your logo around it and that's Um, happening now so it's this is it's very common now people are doing this so it's, I think that we haven't scratched the surface yet. I think we're a little ahead of that right now, but we see companies dabbling in it, but I think that eventually it's going to turn into something a lot 
bigger. I just want to make sure that we can be part of it because I want to see this kind of come to fruition. It's just something that I'm really excited about. We, I know for, for example, we have our own first retail store that we're launching in the next couple months, our first, which is where we're headquartered. And so I'm really excited by it because there's a lot of brands out there who have both retail and online presence. Our game plan is always to be an e-commerce company, but having that retail presence, I think is really good. It allows customers to, you know, go on to physically see our products, similar to what like Apple did, right? Like when you look at their storefronts, it's still very young. It's still very cool. People can still look at products. They can swipe through machines. They could buy rings online still in the stores. They can do all that kind of stuff as well. Our goal is to make it just to basically change the way people shop at a jewelry store. We're not going to do a typical jewelry store like other companies do. Yeah. much. Uh, it's all about the, the experience and yep. the, the convenience and being able to provide people that that kind of complete kind of online experience, but within the store without having to have all the stock there without yes. taking people through display cabinets and saying, well, do you like this ring or this ring? Instead, yeah, you, you take that digital technology you've got and you say, well, sit here and slide on things for a, for a few You're gonna minutes. Like, and, you'll lose your like, mind when you see what the store looks like. There is literally a dinosaur, like a, like a T-Rex dinosaur head, like a real one, like a fossilized head in the window. Is the, is the dinosaur no, bone I mean, like a... Dinosaur bone is one of our popular collections. I would say our biggest collections are going to be our, our Jack Daniels whiskey barrel collection. And then very, what it seems like because of the amazing sales we've had is the Fender collection. So I think those are our two like largest uh, licensed collections, but Dino bone is a really fun one. I love that one. I just think it's, I just think it's cool. And uh, we have Meteorite for anybody who loves space and is like a space geek like me. We have some that are combined of dinosaur and meteor, which I think is super cruel, but it's <laughs> yeah. Really neat. So yeah, there's there's there is a ring for everybody. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Just before we end, is there anyone in the D 2 C marketing space that you'd like to you know sit down and have lunch with? I thought about this. I've tried really hard to meet with people in my space, meaning like my D 2 C like group. But I would say oh, really? yeah, MySpace. For people who are watching who are younger, MySpace was around before Facebook. I also advertised on MySpace back in the beginning as well, which is funny. So. Warby Parker is one that I'm interested in because of their retail to online store. I want to see how retail supports their online business. That's, I just want to sit down with someone over there, like their head of marketing and just ask somebody at Warby Parker, like, how did they get to where they are? What is the strategy for retail? Just to learn more from them. I've been in their store locations here and I ended up buying there in the store, but I looked on their website and I guess they probably support people buying things and then eventually upgrading, getting new styles on their website. I'm just so curious what that looks like. Casper, I'm always interested in. I haven't spoken to anybody over there yet, just because they're in a similar boat to we are where someone buys like mattress once in a while, similar to like purple mattress, I think is another one. They're very similar where you buy one product. How do you get LTV? I'm curious to see their strategy. And then just other companies like Stitch Fix, Rent the Runway, Spanx, I'm like really excited about too. Their CEO is now also a member of Chief, which is a group that I'm part of. I'm one of the founding members for my, uh, the Miami um, group, but it's a, a Chief is a group of women uh, who just basically like really just do what they can to support each other and help with growth and business. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to speak with her. I'm really excited about that. But yeah, I would say those are probably three big ones that I've yeah. always been interested in talking to. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to see if I can get them on the podcast. Uh, yeah. See if I can get those, uh, those secrets out of them. Thank you. I'm curious. And yeah. So just finally, have you got a couple of marketing tools that you'd recommend people use? Yeah. I, from a, 
a data standpoint, I'm always in like Power BI. I'm in like a data junkie. So I always want to know like, how are we doing? Power BI just basically just helps us generate just internal reports that we're using. So it gives our dashboards to let us know like how we're doing to goal, our bookings versus forecast. So I'm constantly living in there. We also can check out high level, like how is our uh, CPC doing or CPMs? Are they increasing, decreasing? Just to give us an idea of what we're facing over the next like couple of weeks. Can we get to goal based off of where what we're seeing? We also have a geotesting software tool that we use that helps us do a lot of our testing called Measure. That's been really helpful. They're one of our tools in our toolbox that I always like to say has helped us get some clarity on some of the incrementality that we've had. And then internally, we've used Asana and ClickUp, things like that to help our team get organized. And then in, from a marketing standpoint, we're in CoSchedule which is just a software tool I use so that all of our departments can manage our marketing calendar all together. But I would say those are, that's a lot of the software tools that I'm using currently. Yeah, cool. All right. Sounds great. Cool. Thank you for joining me. It's been really insightful. Loved it. If anyone wants to reach out and, and have a chat or, or find out more, what's the best way of contacting you? Feel free to message me on LinkedIn. I usually always respond to that. If they message me on LinkedIn Messenger and I will be happy to get back to them and help them with anything. From a marketing perspective, I'm always available. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Yeah, it was great to, great to talk to you and thanks for listening. Thanks. I think Manly Bands is doing an incredible job. And even if you're not looking for a wedding band, uh, go check out the website. They've got so many cool rings on there and this is what allows them to disrupt this industry. The whole idea of the company is to give the customer what they want. It's not people have to buy a wedding band, so let's just make sure we're the option that gets in front of them first. Their whole ethos as a business is to make sure that every customer gets a ring that is perfect for them and meaningful to them. And that's so much more powerful than this one is silver, this one is platinum, and you're also going to pay thousands more for what are pretty generic rings. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can find her on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Joe Ann Holt with me from Koyo, and we're going to be talking about how they've diversified their acquisition away from Facebook and other paid social channels. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Oh, 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 o